Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. And this is episode 435, Last 10, BGG Game of the Year. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring us a brand new episode. All right, friends, we are back and we are talking about the last 10. The last 10 years that BGG has been putting out Games of the Year. And in particular, BGA has been around for about 10 years now at this point. The time is getting there, Anthony. Yeah, 10 years coming up in like three weeks. (laughs) So for this episode, we want to take a look back at the greatest games according to BGG. And they are great for a number of reasons. Anthony, throw us us a reason. Why are BGG Game of the Year games so great? So... There's a lot of these Game of the Year awards. We've talked a lot about most of them in the last few months. And Lots. I think the thing about Board Game Geek is it's pretty indicative of what people are actually playing. Sure. I'm never surprised by the game that wins Game of the Year from Board Game Geek. Maybe once or twice, but most of the time not because it's people voting, right? So it's mm-hmm. as a collective, what games do we think are best? And we, we tend to land on the games that are being played the most or doing the most interesting things in that year. Sure. Um, so it's not like the Spiel des Jahres where we're talking about games that, you know, meet a bunch of very specific criteria in Germany, right? That's yes. A country that's, you know, 8,000 miles away. We're, we're talking about games that are getting played, that people are talking about, people are voting on and reviewing onboard Game Geek. So it's a very good indicative award. So looking back 10 years on these, we're really looking at some of the best games of the last 10 years, according to a specific audience, but a very big audience. Absolutely. And again, the BG audience is typically our audience, or at least our level or our weight of gaming. So, you know, we're big fans of the light stuff and some of the fun, kooky stuff, wacky stuff that's out there. Definitely the medium kind of medium to heavy Euro. And then obviously we have our favorites as far as the super, super crunchy, heavy Euro stuff. And then every once in a while, there's an 18 double X or a war game in there just for funsies. Right. <laughs> funsies. At, you see, you said it. It's fun. It, it's I said funsies. funsies. Yes. It's like, it's, it's like, it's one of those, it's one of those negative 19, 1990s things. It's like, 
it, it it's it's like when you say something is bad but it actually is good. So when you say something funsies, it's actually not fun. But I don't know. Maybe one day. I I choose not to hear the irony <laughs> in your voice. Well, look, it's a thing we do. We also do RPGs. That's that's a thing too. We do those a lot. We don't talk about those because I don't know. They're RPGs and they take forever. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, <laughs> we're certainly not able to review them, and uh, we're not very good at them, but we do enjoy them. So we do enjoy them, and we do. In, in theory, we are playing a lot of them at the same time, but the group has not reconvened yet. So that's true. Yes. <laughs> Yes, we are part of a lot of campaigns and a a lot of alternate universes. We are a lot of alternate characters that are just, you know, waiting and waiting and waiting for that one member to show back up again. But uh, we have Will now, and Will is actively somehow been able to get his troop together on a more reliable basis. So we will bring Will back for more of the RPG stuff. But generally, board gaming, BGG stuff, perfect in line with everything that we're doing taking a look at the top tens of, you know, the top game of the last 10 years. A lot of fun games you've heard of, the good stuff, the stuff that has lasted the test of time, the hotness that has never cooled off and always stayed hot, and more times than not, has hit the table. So we'll be talking about that on our future review. But Anthony, there are things happening in board gaming land. Board gaming land? I want to go there. We kind of are, actually. We are yes. kind of going to board gaming. <laughs> we are kind of going there. Gen Con, of course, we're talking about. Yes. Uh, this week. It's crazy. We're out of time. Are you packed yet? <laughs> no. You ready? No. Not at all. Me neither. No. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. So if you're listening to this right now on a Monday, a day early, it's because we are on a plane on Tuesday. And mm-hmm. I cannot post this episode on Tuesday. So you're getting it a day early. <laughs> So, um, yeah, we're going to be at Gen Con. We're going to be there Wednesday uh, to Sunday. We've got, obviously, Board Game Academics. We've been talking about this for months. We have our premiere event happening at Gen Con Trade Day on Wednesday, August 2nd. Um, you can still participate, by the way. If you're interested, you can join us virtually. Uh, go to boardgameacademics.com. Register there. Tickets are still available. The Discord is up. Jen's doing an amazing job. There's a million things in there to look at and do. And all of our presenters will be in there as well, answering questions, engaging with the audience. Um, but if you're going to be at Gen Con, so are we. So make sure make sure you hunt us down and say hi. Absolutely. And again, please join us at Trade Day if you're at Trade Day. If you're not at Trade Day, please check out Board Game Academics because there is a great way to join us online, as Anthony was saying, with Jen. And we will all be there as well. And we are, of course, planning to put a lot of content out there about what's happening at Gen Con while we're at Gen Con. And that Discord is going to blow up with a lot of great Gen Con stuff. So we want you to be part of it, even if you're not part of it in person, be part of it online with us as we go through the experience together. So should be a lot of fun. Want you there one way or the other. And again, if you are going to be there physically, hit us up. If you're not going to be there but want to join us, hit us up. It's a great way through our Discord channel to be part of the fun that's happening at Gen Con 2023. So a lot of great stuff there. And again, we're excited. Now, Anthony, I thought about typically in the past we had done giant uh, convention episodes. You know, Gen Con, we talk about the preview stuff and we, you know, we talk about some of the tips and tricks and things like this. Because maybe for some people out there, it's their first Gen Con. And maybe there's like some information that they should know about going to any convention and in particular Gen Con, maybe just like one or two quick tips or tricks. 
because I think that's helpful. Ah, Gen Con tips and tricks. Especially mm. since the first time we went, it was nearly disastrous. <laughs> oh my gosh! But it was so many memories. It was so many, so memories. many memories. We survived. It was great. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I think the number one piece of advice I could give anybody is don't try to do everything because Gen Con has like everything, ten thousand events or something plus the vendor hall. Uh, so pick like one or two things per day to schedule mm-hmm. and then just kind of like let the flow take you for the rest of the time. Cause sure. if you schedule a ton of stuff, one of two things is going to happen. You're going to burn out, which I've done, or you're going to not go to most of those things you scheduled, which I've also done. And you're going to feel bad about it or have wasted money on those tickets. Um, but if you pick one or two, you'll probably go to them and you have a whole bunch of other time to kind of explore and have fun. Sure. Um, it's really hard not to get in that mindset of like, I have to get the most out of this because it's four days and I spent a lot of money to be here. Yeah. Which, I mean, we all do on any vacation, but this one in particular, because it's Gen Con. And yeah. Some people only go once or twice yes. in their lives because it's such a big event. Yes. They're like, I have to get the most out of this. And I think you'll have better memories and get more out of it if you don't try to do 400 things. <laughs> if you just pick like six or seven yeah. really cool things and do those and remember them. Sure. Um, that's you know it's easy for me to say that because i've done the opposite too many times but sure <laughs> i think it helps i think it definitely helps um also don't try to buy everything because that's just yeah you get that post-capitalist depression it's no fun. yes yeah I, I, going back on your points too if you if you should know i would say the vast majority of the booths out there places to purchase games don't provide bags right so be aware, like if you're going and you're going to buy things, buy bags or bring bags with you that are eat that are you know easy on the hands to carry. Or again, if you think you're bringing something with wheels, be very careful because the the rows and the just the area is packed. So it's a it's a careful management system of like I need to carry stuff. What's the best way to do it? I recommend backpacks. Mm-hmm. You know, throw back to the old school because. Initially, you're like, cool, I'll, I'll get a, sol- a shoulder bag or I'll carry the bags with my hands. And like, you don't realize that you are there for hours and it's a lot of walking. And the games eventually, initially, are not heavy, but eventually they will be. And outside mm-hmm. is a thousand degrees. So, so hot. Yeah. Yes. And I, so hot. And we have so many stories where we must have, like, it, we've walked, what, 20, 30 minutes to the car or yeah. trying to get to the hotel and like the bags become like, you know, lead weights. So, bring bring stuff that's that is super supportive and easy to carry, and not going to take up a lot of space. And a, a personal thing, especially for the first con that I went to, I bought new sneakers. I wore them, broke them in. At least I thought I broke them in in advance because you know that you're going to be walking a lot. Everyone warns you about walking a lot, but like, bring the thing that is like legitimately broken in, like years, because. You're going to yeah. walk more than you've ever walked in your life if you've not been to Gen Con before. Close to it. Yeah, for sure. Like, you, I mean, it's possible you go in and sit down and play games and don't get up too much, but that's sure. not what we do. And that's not what most people do. <laughs> um, and you'll be like emotionally dragged down the aisles because it is it yeah. is a you want to see everything yeah. and to see everything. You have to be on your feet most of the time. And some of uh, that stuff, in fact, is in a football stadium that you have to yep. walk to, <laughs> which is super cool. You yes. Should, that's another piece of advice yes. that's more positive. Play a game in the football stadium. And I know it sounds silly, especially if you're not a sports fan, but there's something just 
undeniably amazing at about sitting down on like the 50 yard line, playing a game and occasionally looking up and seeing yourself or people around you on the jumbotron (laughs) playing board games. 100%. Like it's a memory that will stick with you forever. Like it's silly. I know it's kind of goofy. It's very nerdy, but it's, it's really, really cool. Uh, it's the one thing I remember the most from the last time I was at Gen Con in 2019 was doing that. And it was like playtesting someone's game. It wasn't even like a brand new release. Sure. It was just, and we were sitting around shooting the shit. It was so much fun. So definitely do that if you can. Sure. And I would also say plan out in advance where you want to eat because yes. there is a ton of people. Things get packed almost immediately. And it's good for you, no matter what your diet may be, to know where the places are that you're going because it benefits you. Our favorite place has been, I think, every con, three carrots in Fountain Square. But again, there are a lot of great places to eat at around the convention center or a little bit away. And again, you should know that in advance. Don't go to the convention and say, like, let's get lunch, because <laughs> it's just like everyone's getting lunch. And like, you need to know those things in advance because it will take up a lot of time. Again, I think Anthony, what Anthony said at the, at the start was the best, right? Like, figure out what you want to do and do those things because inevitably you can't do everything. And if you try to on any level, try to do everything or at least most of the things it's going to break your heart because you're going to miss out. So figure out what type of experiences are the type of experiences that you want to have and focus on those. Because again, inevitably you can't go to all the shows and events. Even trade day has so many great events at the same time. And you're like, well, which of the six of things would I want to go to? It's just like, right. <laughs> can't. You just can't. And then, again, you could just go to the convention and spend every day in the vendor hall. Like, that is completely legit. There is so much we, to see. Like, We have done that at least half the time we've been there. We did that. Yeah. So take it slow and go up and down. Take it fast and just see everything. But... Just know who you are and what you like to do and just do that thing. I think Will's coming Will's coming with us this time and he's definitely a different type of gamer than us. So I know he's playing a lot of like RPG live events. Yeah. Um, not my thing. I would do that if it wasn't Gen Con, but it's Gen Con. So for me, I want to go up and down every aisle. I want to see right. all, all the things. And I, then I want to go to the football stadium, of course. And I, and I, you know, I want to do those things. Oh, we're going to the football stadium. We are playing War of the Ring, the card game what? in the football stadium. <laughs> we are. There's so, a tournament and there's still tickets available. I don't know if they will be when you hear this, but yeah. it's, it's going to be cool. I'm very excited for that. Very cool. Yeah, no, it's fun. I mean, it's not as fun as alien life being proven, but you know. Yeah, but who cares, right? <laughs> I know, nobody cares. We don't care. Have you been outside these days? The ocean is literally <laughs> boiling in Florida. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, hey, there's aliens. Aren't you kind of freaked out? Or like, nah, economic crisis, know. global health crisis. <laughs> Are they causing all of this? No, we don't think so. Can they fix any of this? No, we don't think so. Then we don't care. <laughs> Recently on an episode, I, I welcomed our AI masters. I'm now welcoming our alien masters because, you know, look, it can't be any I, worse than it currently more is. More than welcome. I'll roll out the red carpet. <laughs> I'll make them dinner. Like, come on. Can you fix this, please? I am a fan of sci-fi. I'm, I'm wagering it's better than what we got. I'm just, just, just going for it. If they made it all the way here, then they, they must be doing something right. Because <laughs> it's true. 
So uh, a lot of fun, fun stuff to come. Again, stick with us. We'll have more details, more information. We'll talk about more of the games as we see them. There'll be photos. There'll be information. We'll do a whole bunch of stuff. Again, thank you so much for joining us at the table at Gen Con. So, yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Anthony, you're doing stuff on Patreon this week. I am, yes. I'm, I'm a little behind on it, but I am coming out very soon this weekend, probably, with my first episode of the Top 100 Deep Dive. So I'm Ooh. diving into my Top 100 games. Uh, I'm going to go through five to ten at a time each week. I have the first part recorded. I'm going to do another one, too. So we'll release that sometime uh, while we're at Gen Con. So just to keep things flowing. So if you're not on our Patreon, just know that we post an extra episode almost every week. Mm-hmm. So it's four per month. Some months have five weeks. We don't get one in that fifth week. But every two weeks, Chris, you're posting Kicking the Habit. Every two mm-hmm. weeks, I'm posting whatever I feel like. Um, <laughs> so it's usually me talking about the games I own or um, have purchased. But it's fun. And it's a chance to kind of deep dive into something we don't have as much time to talk about here on this podcast. Sure. And it's extra content. And plus, if you are a backer, you can reach out and say, this was cool, do more of it. Yes. Or... I don't know about this and we will 100% listen to you because that's why we're doing it. So. Yeah. I've gotten a lot of requests on kicking the habit where I, re- where I review or I should say preview all the kickstarters, backer kits, game found stuff. I have a lot of people reaching out to me going, can you talk about this one or that one or this one? I'm not sure mm-hmm. if I should back it or not. And we run through the campaigns. So it's not paid for. It's completely me and you who are talking about the stuff at the table, not an official preview, not a paid preview just want to give you the best advice on purchasing the best games out there all right i think that's what's going on with us what's going on with our listeners and our friends out there what's our question of the week all right question of the week this week i asked everybody one of the hardest questions that we've all had to answer so let's say you just got a game you're super excited about how do you convince your friends to play it oh (laughs) yes so magic i think uh, yeah right I think we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago because you went to a game night for the first time in oh, a long yeah. time and brought all your games and nobody wanted to play them. Yeah. And I, it's happened that? to all of us. So <laughs> um, so I asked everybody how, how they handle it. And some of them, you know, they, they stack the deck a little bit. But uh, Corey Murphy says, have it set up already when they show up for game night. Ooh. We don't have to play this one. I just wanted it to be ready for us in case we do. Ah. Like yeah, it, see, like it. host the game night usually will do it <laughs> like, <laughs> like yeah i don't know why you brought games to my house we're playing my games so that's right um jill coleman says solo mode question mark all ready to play i'm convinced no solo mode play two-handed if possible no option on either figure out a way to make friends that want to play games with me in practice seriously though usually get the game set up already and be ready to teach so mm. I, I think i'm kind of in jill's boat a lot too of I really want to play this. I don't know how long it's going to take to get to the table. I'm just going to set it up and play it by myself. Okay. To at least get something out of this thing I purchased. And then I will pester people after that. So, yeah. No, I get that. Uh, Charlie says, lie. Just lie. <laughs> Tell them it's a short game, super thematic, and you'd already know all the rules. There you go. Yeah, Charlie, that'll do it. I love um, that, Charlie. It's fantastic. In all seriousness, though, it doesn't take much to convince my group to try something new. We like to play at least one familiar game and one new game each session. Mm. Um, or lie. Just lie. <laughs> yes. Uh, Whiskey Punk says, just bring that game. If I win the roll, the die roll, we're playing it. Or host a game night and have it already set up. Gotcha. Uh, I know a lot of game groups do this. Like, you roll dice, you take turns, you draw mm. names. That helps. 
One um, of the one of the recent meetups that I had seen post. I haven't been there yet, but people post what game that they want to bring slash play, and mm-hmm. then people need to RSVP for that game. And oh, then if smart. and then if the if the, they don't get enough people, then you know, like if it doesn't meet the player count, then that game is not played. And I thought that That's... was really smart. And obviously, the organizer says that like, hey you know there'll still be there'll still be spots right people drop out or whatever else it is but at least there's a that i think that discussion in advance is helpful yeah for sure and it's honestly like as somebody who does this all the time bring stuff and people don't want to play it <laughs> i don't care right because we all have games we all want to play yeah. i want i want everybody to be having fun sure but i also don't want to bring something and learn it if i don't need to that's true. so it's nice to know in advance if nobody's gonna play what i brought <laughs> so. yeah especially when you bring a lot of games and you're like, I kind of learned all these games. They're in my head. They will evaporate from my head in about 15 minutes. So could we get yeah. one of these to the table, please? And yeah, I know. I know like when you and I get together, we usually have a conversation of like, here are all the options. Which of these do we want to play? Because we need to learn the rules to all of them. That's right. So which ones, which ones are we going to take the time to do that with? Yeah. And usually it's like time is running short. What do you know? Like what can yeah. you legitimately know and play like now? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Drew mentions sharing the hype. So plant the seeds in their minds weeks to months in advance. Share your excitement about a game preparation. Send out a video. Discuss future stories that may unfold. So just draw people into your obsession. Make them want to play it the way you want to play it. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, I think Kickstarter and obviously we've done that a lot for people. (laughs) It's just like, hey, people are talking about this thing. You should play this thing. Or Sometimes you bring a game to game night, and they're like, oh, is that a Kickstarter? And you're like, yeah. You know, five years ago, but yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> they're like, oh, that thing has hype behind it. Like, yes, it does. Let's just go yes, along with that. let's yeah. play it now. Yes. Yeah. All right, so thanks, everybody. Um, our winner this week, who I will be contacting, is Charlie, because what's better than a lie, right? <laughs> just get people in there. Then they'll like it. You know they're going to like it. It's fine. <laughs> Nobody said listen to our podcast, though. I'm just saying. Oh, yeah. Come on, all. <laughs> just pander. You'll win a game. It's literally our only job is to get more people at the table. So, sure. <laughs> <laughs> we should make an episode which is just, like, literally taking suggestions from people of, like, hey, I want to play this game at game night, but I'm not sure if they'll play it. Like, we'll do a whole podcast. We'll be like, you know what the greatest game is? It's that game. It's Charlie's game. Charlie's game that he's bringing to game night's the greatest game. And once you play that game. Yeah, it's it's the $500 Patreon level. That's we will right. convince your friends to play your game. Listen, Mike. Come on, Mike. You know Charlie's always, like, the coolest guy out there. And, like, he always knows the best games. So why not sit down and play the game? And you want to be as cool as Charlie? Come on, Mike. Do it. <laughs> All the cool kids are doing it, man. We're doing it. We're big, big famous podcasters. You know, we're down oh, with Charlie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we'll we'll get that we'll get that level up there real soon. <laughs> all right, everyone. So again, hit us up. Hit us up always on all of our social media. Again, you can find us wherever it is. And if you do have a second, we would love to get a review from you on any of your podcast players. It means a lot. It helps a lot. And again, thanks for shouting us out. All right, Anthony, that's everything that's happening with our friends out there. Let's talk about things we want to get to the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. All right, so I'm going like full solo mode this week because oh next boy. week I'm actually going to engage with other human beings. So I got to get, 
all of the loneliness out of my blood now because uh-huh. about to get on an airplane and host an event and go to a dinner and go to a convention. It's going to be exhausting. So solo, solo, solo. Um, <laughs> Anthony, every time at the convention, Anthony's at some point, he just has a point in the day. He's like, you know what? Just done with people for the rest of the day. I'm going to go back to the hotel. I'm done. I'm just done because yeah. it is a lot. I'm just going to go sit down. I'm going to read a book. <laughs> just can't do this anymore. <laughs> You're like, it's only 830. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty late. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, so first up then, because the reviews will come later, uh, this is a preview of Unreliable Wizard. It is a game out of Japan uh, designed by Kami Bayashi, and it's, I want to, I don't know if it was self-published or just like only in Japan, I think it's only in Japan, like a low print run, mm-hmm. um, that came out in 2022. So in it, you're an apprentice wizard tasked by the king with destroying the demon lord and saving the princess. The game is designed to look very much like an old 8-bit style RPG type thing, right? There's only 32 cards in the deck. You move your wizard along, kind of there's like a map that builds out with the cards. You're paying life points, crossing terrain. Um, there's battles you face with different minions on different uh, pieces of landscape. And at the end, you have to fight the Demon King to win, right? So kind of a fantasy video game-esque theme that honestly... I don't think it had much buzz. I think the people who had seen it and played it were like, this is kind of cute and fun and clever. But it's coming to GameFound pretty soon. Um, There's a new version of it from Salt and Pepper. And there's already like 3,000 or so people uh, backing, or not backing it, following it. Mm -hmm. Um, Looking forward to it, myself among them. And so we've got new graphic design, it looks like. Um, And not really 100% sure what else they have in there. But this is from the company that recently brought us Resist and Witchcraft, sure. which I know, Chris, you talked about not too long ago. Yes. Um, kind of solo-only experiences. So th- it looks cool. And I, I like the theming of it. I like the sound of it. I don't know anything else beyond that. But I, I did back Witchcraft. And if I see a copy of Resist Ooh. somewhere, I will track it down. Yes, yeah, same um, here. So looking forward to Unreliable Wizard when they post that. I really sincerely appreciate when I think we've talked about this a while back, right? Where I think it was the awards. It might've been, the, I don't know if it was the BGG awards. Or it was one of the other awards, like the solo game winner or the solo game nominees, right? Like games that are just like built to be solo is an impressive feat. And if they like, if they nail the design, like it's something above and beyond. Right. I just, I appreciate that. Like, I don't, you can play a lot of games solo. A lot of co-op games you can play solo. Like, these are great. Like, I I really like the fact that it's this whole genre of games, solo games, are just like, now it's just a thing, right? Now it's just, of course, solo games. Yeah, it's like, back in the day, there was like three. Yeah. Right? There was Friday and Hostage Negotiator (laughs) and maybe one more I'm not thinking of that you could readily find. There was a bunch of like print and play stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, Solitaire's been around for 150 years, and there's versions of that. But if you were just getting into solo games like 10 years ago, there really weren't that many things you could buy at the game store. Now there's a ton of things. I'm going to talk about three of them, you know, when we get to At the Table in a minute. Um, and then you've got, like, companies like this that all they're doing is releasing those. There's big ones, like the ba- the Dark Knight Returns game. That's a solo-only game. It's a big, like, $80 sprawling experience it's just for one player Mm. so it's cool like i I love playing with people but sometimes i can't so it's nice to play a game that's just designed for me (laughs) yeah to play by myself yeah no i really again as someone who doesn't who historically has not liked solo games 
these things really pique my interest a lot because it, it's built for that. It's not a, it's not an afterthought. Like it's built this way and it's great. All right. Well, I've surprisingly over time has become a big, a big fan of uh, Sinister Fish games. And recently they posted a new Kickstarter. It's Wizards and Co. Ray Dungeons for Loot in a ruthless contest with other greedy wizards. Um, from the designer of Alma Mater, and I, I think these are all Anthony's favorite game people, uh, Lorenzo Magnifico and Grandos Riotel. Have, have you seen the lineup of designers who were designing this game, Anthony? I didn't even know this game existed until you put it on the spreadsheet. Did you, can, you, can you look at it? Because I think, look at the designers. I think that's yeah, that's. No, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Virginia Gili, Flaminia Brasini, Stefano Luperto. That's and art by the Bill Coimbra on top of it. Yeah, like this is great. This is like Murderer's Row, and I was just like flipping through this. I'm like, oh, Sister's Fish. I like, I, I, they're they're Euro light and heavy games. I've liked a lot. I think they had this other super super light game, which was just not for me. But I'm like, oh, cool, another game. And I was like, oh, who's doing this game? <laughs> just like, oh, yeah, this is gonna be a thing. Now, this is the weird thing, Anthony, because, again, we talked about the games and the designers, and people know these people, so it's not it's no surprise here. What's a little surprising is this is a very light game. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm looking at this 30 minutes. It's got, like, a little rondelle of cards. It, it looks almost like the Treasure Hunter game is, like, the real-time thing, like... It's a, it's a little... And it's... So, like I, like I said, I'm I'm reading through this, I'm reading the designers. I'm reading the great price and the discount price from the retail. I'm looking at the artwork. I like it. And then I'm like, all right, so as you said, like when you look at the initial picture, you're like, what is it? Well, basically, like you said, there is this, I, I, I guess what we're, this octagon of a dungeon center. And what you are doing as a wizard is you're deploying creatures. You all have the same set of initial creatures, and as you draw cards, which are, you know, shuffled, you decide what creatures you're going to put into your dungeon. Once you deploy your creatures, one or two dungeon, you know, creatures that you put in there, later on, you'll be able to draw more. But you place them in there, you consider the enhancements. So the enhancements in the middle of the board flip over, so it's a global effect, and it's going to, you know, change the game slightly, right? So, like, I guess like Marvel Snap, right? Like this this area is now bonus to this or a weakness to this or you gain an additional thing. And then in clockwise order, the creatures are going to resolve. You'll flip them over and they'll resolve. And typically the creatures are taking out, knocking out the other creatures or they have a special ability or whatever they might have. After that mayhem happens, whoever has the two highest creatures, the first one, the first one gets the biggest loot and then the second creature gets whatever whatever is left over there. And you do that until a certain number of rounds, and then the game comes to an end. So I was like, oh, okay. Okay? Like, it it's fine. It's it's again, I think this is their lighter series of I won't even say it's a gateway game. I I guess it's a gateway game. It's a gateway game in a way that of, of another game I'm gonna talk about at at my table. But Considering that the price of this game is relatively inexpensive, it's $31 US, and the design pedigree and the art here, it might be worth picking up. $31 is not bad, but it is a lighter game for sure. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll keep my eye on it. I don't know. Like, it is a I, very I like game, the pedigree. Right? Yeah, it's it's tough, right? Like Antoine Bowser makes like games like this all the time, and I don't like most of them. So, it yeah. like designer alone does not make a good game. No, or I like that's not the good way to say that. Designer alone does not make a game that's good for me. Sure. And again, Sinister Fish like typically has written that line like Moon is coming out is probably going to be their crunchiest, heaviest game, which is still not going to be a heavy game. No. Uh, Villagers is I feel like is their well we'll see I guess we'll see once Moon comes out. Villagers is their heaviest game at the moment. Streets Streets is much lighter, and then you know, it's it's been like that. I think this is just like a light game, fun game with the family and kids. If you're interested, again, great artwork, great designers, great company, great price. Uh, it's on Kickstarter now. Wizards and Co. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for one twenty nine each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right, Anthony, that's the things that we want to eventually get to the table at some point. Let's talk about the games that did hit the table. We'll let people know if those games are a buy and they should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play and they should hit the table. If those games are dodge and they should avoid them. Or if, in fact, those games are the dreaded burn. And let's be honest, the word, you know, just... Leave it outside and the sun will take care of it. <laughs> you don't have to do much yeah. to burn a thing these days. Come on. Just go down to Florida. You can boil it in the ocean. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so what do you have up for us this week, Anthony? All right. I got three games. Three? And I'm just going to rapid fire them. Ooh. Rapid fire. All right. Go, 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 go. <laughs> uh, so there was a Kickstarter from Button Shy. They do this every month. They have a new Kickstarter. But there was two games that came out at once uh, from designer Stephen Aramini. Now, Steven Armini has done several games in the past, most notably Sprawlopolis. Oh. So this is like the big solo gaming guy. Uh, it's not the only gaming guy. And he did make Sprawlopolis with Danny DeVine and Paul Kluka. So, but he worked on it, which is one of my favorite games of all time. It is still the best button shy game. That's, and that's not really a spoiler for these reviews sure. because it's such a good game. But he made these two by himself, River Wild and Ancient Realms. So if you're not familiar with Button Shy Games, it is a little wallet, little plastic wallet that comes with 18 cards, and you play the game with the 18 cards. They almost always come with one or two expansions as well, which means it's more than 18 cards, but the base game is always 18 cards. Not all of them are solo. There's a lot of Button Shy Games that play multiplayer. Um, Sprawlopolis and Agropolis and uh, Naturopolis now have, like, you can play up to four people. But the core of that game is solo. These two are solo only. They don't have two-player rules in them. Um, I'm sure they'll have variants at some point. And like a lot of recent Button Shy solo games, they kind of feel like it, right? I have a bunch of these, and some of them are good, and some of them are not. Um... The most recent was the Numsters, which was fine, but it was very short and a little luck-based. So it's not one I'm going to be playing over and over again, not like Sprawlopolis. Mm -hmm. I think these two are kind of in between that. So River Wild first. Um, you have a deck of cards, you flip them over, and on the card you have several different things. You have the river itself, which is pink water for some reason. You have mountains, and you have different pieces of land. 
you're trying to form islands by putting the cards together and you're going to build them out in kind of a growing like pyramid inverse pyramid um and you try to form the islands because the islands are where you're going to score points so on the island you have different animal symbols you're trying to get different combos of animal symbols matching the requirement of the, the symbols it's kind of fiddly in the scoring um which for an 18 card solo game that takes 15 minutes is not ideal it took me a few plays of this to kind of fully understand what i was trying to do and then once i got there it was a little random like what i was able to accomplish so it didn't really give me that brain burning feeling where when i really click with it in sprawlopolis like man i'm a genius look what i did <laughs> they're just like oh yeah that works okay it's fine right it's a light I, I don't even know if it's a light play it's dodgish almost compared to like the other stuff that has come out uh from button shy these games are so inexpensive that i'm always wary to say like oh it's a dodge don't even look at this game but it's a solo game so if you're playing it, you're playing it. It's not like <laughs> somebody dragged you to the table and I'm saying don't run away. Um, it's very fight club. So I guess, yeah, right. So I guess it is a dodge, right? Because yeah. I'm saying like maybe don't play this if you don't need to, and you don't need to because you're playing it by yourself. So it, there's a cool idea here. I don't think it quite comes together. Ancient Realm is the other one. Um, they both ship together, and this one's a little more interesting. I like this one a little bit more. It's a civilization themed puzzle game. So you have four cards in front of you that represent the different types of resources that you have. So there's coins and stone and food and wood, as we're all used to in any Civ game. Every card has like multiple columns in it that mm -hmm. represents different actions. And you place them down in front of you in the row. And there are like event cards that will be active when they're face up. There's also wonder cards that you're trying to build. And you can cover up, you're building out a row. It always has to be in a row, but you can cover up anything on any card, any combination of those different columns that isn't a wonder. You can't cover up the wonders. When you cover something up, things happen. You get income, you get actions, you get resources, but you also sometimes cover up victory points. So you're trying to balance it out where you're getting enough resources to be able to do more stuff, to build your wonders. The wonders have a lot of the victory point scoring conditions on them. And also working with the events that are active as they're active. And you can choose which deck you're flipping cards from. This game I found a lot more interesting, a lot more fulfilling in terms of what I was doing. Um, a lot more, like, it evolves over the course of play in ways that um, River Wild really didn't. It was kind of a one-note game. Uh, I love Civ games anyways. And I think, like, finding a way to make a Civ game out of 18 cards that plays in 15 minutes was very, very impressive. Um, this one for me is a buy. I Whoa. really like this a lot. I've played this several times now. It's it's weighty, right? It has that feeling like Sprawlopolis gives where you're like, okay, I really have to think about each card that I play and where I'm going to put it and what I'm going to do with it. And then even after you've done that, you're like, ah, well, I could have done that and that and that, and then this would have done that. It's still not like to that upper echelon of like Sprawlopolis, like a top 50 game for me, but it's very good and I'll keep playing it. So that's Ancient Realm. So we, we got two in the same Kickstarter. One great, one was not so great. <laughs> the third game I want to talk about uh, real briefly is For Northwood, a solo trick-taking game, which was my uh, acquisition disorder like three weeks ago. This is a, as the game says, a solo trick-taking game. It re-implements re the Emissary, which was like a, not even print and play, because it was like a set of rules for a deck of normal cards. Um, 
in this though they've added artwork and they've like built out this whole kind of world that you're working within um and it's won several awards right like working with a set number of cards it's not 18 cards it's 54 so there's a lot more cards in the deck here doing a lot more shuffling but it's a lot more interesting as well so what you're trying to do is on your turn you're going to have these different uh you have a row in front of you of from zero to seven and you need to get the number of tricks with the hand that you have matching each of those numbers as many of them as possible so you're going to choose where to put the arrow and you're going to try to get that many tricks on your hand you're also going to have a row in front of you of different special abilities that allow you to kind of mess with the game a little bit otherwise it's basic trick-taking rules so out of the eight hands that you're going to play you want to get as many of them as possible to match the number that you're at some of them are easier than others right like a four you can kind of manipulate your way around a four. A zero is pretty hard in any trick-taking game, right? You have to not win any tricks. Um, and so that creates a really interesting kind of flow. Um, every time you're playing the card, you have to be careful. Of, okay, when is this going out? How is this going out? Do I want to win this trick or do I want to wait and maybe kind of catch the next one? Um, what is the trump depends on which thing you point the arrow at at any point in time so it changes throughout the game based on which number you're going for and the number you're going for changes because you're placing those uh the royal suits above the numbers at the start of every game so it is kind of random as well so this i found very clever and interesting it's a little long for a solo only game i felt like it took me a good 30 upwards of 40 minutes thinking it through um because you're playing a full eight hands so it's a little bit longer than like a button shy game, but when I want a heavier, not heavier, but longer, I guess, <laughs> more engaging experience. Um, this was really, really clever. And it's it just, it's you, when you see it in action, you're like, Oh, why did nobody think of this before? But at the same time, you're like, wow, it's also really complicated. How did he think of it? So uh, for Northwood also going to give this one a buy. It's only 15 bucks. You can pick it up on Amazon and it's a very solid solo only game. If you like trick taking and you want to play a game solo, this is, you know, this is it. So highly recommended. Or you could go to the emissary on Board Game Geek, grab a deck of playing cards, and do it on your own without buying it at all. So, <laughs> Even better. Yep. Excellent. All right. Well, after our discussions about the Kennerspiel, I was like, kind of somewhat owe it to myself and to everybody else to actually play the winner of the Kennerspiel. And I did! Challengers! Challenge accepted? Challenge succeeded? I don't know. Challengers, but an exclamation point, because <laughs> it's important to point those things out, because weirdly enough, if you actually try to get this, you know, find this game online, you type in Challengers, you're gonna find, like, literally everything, right? <laughs> Every yeah. Everything that's like, hey, board game Challengers, and you're just getting people wanting to play board games and that doesn't really help you long term so uh i got this game to the table got this game online again you could play this on board game arena and that's always fun because it's typically free that's always a benefit to everyone involved and i have things to say about it and <laughs> i don't know necessarily where to begin because it is certainly one of those games where I don't know. I don't want to do the pun and say it's challenging, but it really is challenging because this game won the Kenner's Dispiel, and it's just like, uh, 
Okay, so let's talk about the game, and then I'll get to emotions, because there's a lot of emotions falling around. Challengers is an interactive deck-building game for one to eight players. So right there, it's amazing, right? It kind of fits in that, you know, sonar game where you get to play with so many players that you've never played with before, and it gets a lot of games to the table. So you get to play with one. It has a solo challenge, which is excellent, and it also plays up to eight players. Now, typically, anytime we talk about the number five or beyond, Anthony head head blows up. But this actually has a really meaningful rationale in the game. Because basically what you're simulating on some level, or actually playing, depending on how you look at it, is you're you're playing a tournament. And Challengers is supposed to be tournament play. It's supposed to give you that sense of like almost like playing a CCG and you win or lose and you go on to the next round regardless and you win or lose, you go next round and you're gaining points as you go based upon the round. So the first round, one point, so forth and so on. Then you get to the final round. Now, if you play one or two players, that's that's a whole different game scoring me- mechanism. But if you play three to eight, you are trying to be in the, the top two, because when it comes to the top two, the winner takes the game. Now, let's talk about what actually the game is. So, a lot of people, and rightfully so, when you look at this game, you're like, it's a deck-building game, because it legitimately has, every round, a deck phase, in which everyone at the start of the game gets a identical deck, and then has an opportunity to draw cards to make an another kind of like drafting situation just unique to you mixed up of all of these different types of i guess classes of cards that are out there so again depending on what you play and how you play it there's a lot of opportunities to play with a lot of these different wacky it's very cartoony so there's castle cards with like very medieval characters and then there's city cards with people from the city and there's film studio cards which are all actors and and such. Uh, there's Funfair, which is all carnival kind of stuff. Haunted House, which is little creatures and haunted kind of stuff. Outer Space, aliens and things like that. And then, of course, Shipwreck, because why not? There should be some Shipwreck stuff in there, too. So you get the starters, and then the other decks, depending on how you play, the other decks are mashed up, and then you draw the cards, and then depending on that particular round, you get to select one to two cards to add to your deck. Doesn't seem like a big thing, but it does make a big difference. Now, this is where the game takes a change. So, as the game goes on, and as you're you're drafting each round, you'll have sometimes an opportunity to draft one card from a lower level power deck, or, I'm sorry, two cards from a lower power deck, or one card from a higher power deck. So there's a starter card, then there's A, B, C, and D. I'm sorry, A, B, C, and then there's robots, which is a whole separate thing in solo. So A, B, and C. So the power goes from one to three, um, and then it, it goes you know up to five to seven, and then so forth to ten. So bigger cards are better, right? Here's the thing. You can put as many cards as you want in your deck, but as you play cards, the unique cards goes to, and you're you're playing on a on this quasi field like it's a playmat, you have slots. So as you play a card. You're playing cards because you're trying to play a capture the flag kind of situation. So there's a flag. There's a flag token. So there's a flag. You play a card, no matter what number it is, you get the flag. So if it's a one, congratulations, you got a one. 
your opponent plays a card, and again, they get a one, it matches up, they still get the flag. Now, you have your card, it's got to go to the deck. The deck is one of six spaces on your side of the playmat, and it just takes up a set. This continues. Now, you need to get equal or higher to get the flag card, the little flag token, to show that you're in charge, and whoever at the end of the, of the round has the flag token wins, with the exception, of course, of if your six slots are taken up, and then you have another unique card, and it's being discarded, then you, you kind of like, it's a press-your-luck game, is what I'm saying. So you can put as many cards as you want, but the more unique cards, if you go over six unique cards, if you have seven unique cards, you will eventually bust if that seventh unique card comes out before the game comes to an end. But it may be advantageous for you to do so because you want to put some of the bigger cards into your hand but don't want to get rid of the weaker cards. So it is possible that your big cards holds on to the flag because the other the other opponent is not able to match you or go beyond you, so you win the game and they burn out their deck. So, game comes to an end if one of the sides is either out of cards or they bust because their, you know, their deck is full of unique cards and then there, there's no place for that seventh unique card. Now, the game allows you, there's a lot of duplicate cards in the game, so you could have multiple copies of the same card and it doesn't take up additional deck spots. They all kind of slide in there. And you will need additional cards because several of the cards in the game have benefits and bonuses that will benefit other cards in the game. So I would say, depending on the deck that you play, some cards will boost other cards, typically of the same type. So having more of that particular card is beneficial. And a lot of times those cards will only boost up your cards if they're part of your deck. So the player is essential to get the flag, but as you're discarding cards, not to worry because several of them have bonuses. And in fact, throughout the game, there are certain cards that will allow you to select cards out of your deck or rearrange your deck. Sounds fine. Here's again where it's more of a press your luck game than it is a deck building game. You do not choose any of the cards in your deck to, like, once you build your deck, it's done. The deck plays by itself. There is no choices to play. Whatever comes off the top of your deck automatically gets played. Whatever comes off the top of their deck gets automatically played. And a number of cards will play. So if you put a five and one of their card comes as one, it will keep playing cards until it's equal or, or above. So in a game of challengers, you do a little minor deck maintenance as far as like putting cards in and you also have an option to remove certain cards because again, you don't want to go over. Well, you can. You can press your luck whether or not you want to go over. But throughout the game, it's like one or two cards in and then the deck plays itself. One or two cards in, the deck plays itself. And again, if you if you keep it to six, you don't have to worry about busting, but you may not have enough of the powerful cards or enough of different cards to actually benefit you long term. So simplistic, simple 1.80 on Board Game Geek as far as weight is concerned. Deck building game, but really what it feels like is a press your luck game because you're trying to modify your starting deck 
with cards that are going to benefit you. And again, because there's different classes of cards that typically will do certain things, do you go for a, you know, a certain class of cards, right? Do you go space? Oh, I got a space number two. Do I discard everything else and just keep my space things in there? Because maybe I'll get a good space card that will benefit the other cards. Or am I trying to do film studio? Because obviously they have a lot of cards that benefit each other. Or am I just put a lot, putting a lot of big cards in there? Or am I slotting in a lot of identical cards so it makes my deck higher and I can play longer, but inevitably they're low cards? Like, again, there's a lot of things to think about. And certainly there are cards in the game that will clear out a couple of cards in your deck. So you could play legitimately seven, eight, or nine unique cards, but you have cards that move cards out of your deck and put into a discard pile. So the deck building is so slight. And the risk management is really what you're playing because, again, the deck plays itself beyond a few times where you could possibly adjust your cards. All of that said, it is weirdly enough, even though it's more of a game experience than a game, and even though the, the play part plays itself, it's kind of fun. I, I'm embarrassed to say this. Like, it there is something just like I get to do a little minor thing with my deck and I get to do a little minor thing in the game period and it plays itself. Like you can legitimately hate this game and be and be a hundred percent right. You can legitimately love this game and also be percent right. I don't know who that is, but it's fine. I give it a play. If you see it at a convention, play it. I don't recommend buying it because it's so much lighter than you can imagine. And the deck building and the risk management and the pressure of your luck is so light. But it also plays eight players. I don't know what to do with this game. It would be great at a convention or a game night if you just want to play with people who've never played games before. They could get the, the subtle concept of like one or two cards in. Game plays itself because, again, you're playing war. If you ever played war as a kid, it's a deck of cards. And you just play cards until, like, I win because I'm higher. You win because you're right. That's pretty <laughs> much it in a nutshell. So this game could be a dodge. It could be a play. I don't see it as a buy. And I hate to say it, but, like, I really don't see it as a burn. I don't, I don't think it does anything fundamentally bad. I think it's just, it's just a weirdly light game that kind of plays itself. And you have some level of, you know, like, some level of, I don't know, control, but it's so slight. So, Challengers, it's a play, and I'm just going to say that, move on. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I feel like a lot of the Kennerspiel winners end up being that, for us at least. Yeah. Like, we're like, oh, that doesn't seem like that'll be fun. You play it, and you're like, oh, it is kind of fun, and I don't know how or why, <laughs> but yes. I guess I'll just move on. I don't necessarily, get, I'm not going to actively bring this out. No. Because that's not my kind of game. But if someone said, let's play this, I'd be like, sure. You'd be like, all right, yeah, all right. <laughs> Just like, and again, it's, it's weird. It's, it's, I don't know. I don't know. Like, it's weird. It is weird. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very weird game. And again, I, I think this game does have a role as far as like non-gamers or even a party situation. Like, Again, there's very few, what I would consider, again, in my humble opinion, like board games that you bring to a game night and you could play with non-gamers. 
So it's usually a, a party game, which is usually like, Chris really likes this color. What do you all think? Like, it's those games just drive me nuts. I want to play an actual game. This is almost an actual game. that, And again, you could play with up to eight people. So I played at different player counts, play solo, which is fine. I wouldn't, don't purchase this game for the solo. Purchase this game because you have times where there are eight people or a game night or a meetup and you want something to start the night. And it plays incredibly fast. So, challengers! Exclamation point. It's a thing. It's fine. I don't know what else to say about it. It's a press your luck game, not a deck builder. If you think it's a deck builder, you're going to be disappointed. But it's also a deck builder, kind of. So, yay, I, I guess. So, uh-huh. Um, I don't know. I've won some eight-player tournaments, and that was the thing that happened. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> Just, like, random deck play. <laughs> gonna stop awesome. now because it doesn't it just doesn't get any better no <laughs> it's okay man you're allowed to like it it's all good <laughs> don't know what it is it's just like it's just barely fine it's fine <laughs> it's fine fine don't just barely it's it's fine again you know i'm gonna get like a box quote chris chris from board gamers anonymous says it's fine <laughs> yeah right underneath the kenner spiel that's right <laughs> It's gonna be no wait wait. It's gonna be above the Kenner Spiel. Right, right. <laughs> Chris, Chris is Chris fine. Said it? Kenner Spiel is young. Chris man. said it. Wait a minute. Oh, it, it must be fine. <laughs> it's a family party game. Enjoy it for that. All right. That being right. said, let's get on to our feature review. Our feature review this week. Hopefully, I don't fall down after this review. Our feature review this week is our last ten. The last ten years of Board Gamers Anonymous, looking at the greatest ten years in gaming. And in particular, for this week's episode, we're looking at Board Game Geek's Game of the Year. As we talked about before, and over the last several months, it seems like at this point, there's been so many awards. And again, they deserve it because board games are the best. We all agree. That's why we're listening. But we want to talk about the last 10 years. Again, Board Game Geek, since we all do vote on it as a community. And again, if you're interested, Board Gamers Anonymous actually has a guild, right? We have a thing on on bgg right you can there all the podcasts are up there there's information about about us up there so yeah that's the thing so again you yeah. can like us there you can even get like one little micro badges there's micro badges for bgg bga you know that that is true that you can get those yes all right so do all those things because it's fun now being said anthony the last 10 years of gaming you've played these games right uh da, 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 da. yep i played all these games all right so again let's <laughs> Let's do an honorable mention for the years that became before BGA, just because it's fun. Uh, back in 2006, Kalis, the really hard slap your you know friend in the face kind of Euro game. So if you've ever had a Euro game night and people are like, hey, Euro games don't have interaction, play Kalis because it punches people in the face. <laughs> like it really is when I'm games. Uh, 2007, Shogun. I mean, I don't know. like More punching in the face. It's a lot of punching. <laughs> Like, early on, there was a lot of punching in the face in Euro games. So Shogun yeah. was the cube tower, was known for it, a lot of that kind of stuff. 2008, Anthony, more punching in the face. Like, hey, you got a family. You also have to, like, just feed them or otherwise. Like, have Yeah, you... but this is more the game punching you in the yes. face, which is more what Euros have become. <laughs> it's like, true. 
It's true. Y'all sit in a circle playing roughly the same game, occasionally getting mildly annoyed at somebody, but mostly you're pissed at the game. Yes. You're, you have you get to have a nice existential crisis about your family members starving each and every round. Yeah. <laughs> Fun. You're like, I want to make profit, but also I have to feed my child who's working the field. So, yeah, that's a thing. Uh, 2000, Come on, Timmy. 2009, Anthony. I, again, arguably the greatest deck building game of all time dominion came out and that was revolutionary at the time oh yeah 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 uh 2010 the driest of the dry euros hanzo teutonica this is a weird one because i mean it's pre me getting into the hobby Uh so you know maybe i just didn't know what the space was like back then but i'm like really hansa this is like i have this game i like it fine but it does not strike me as a game that was like earth shattering for the entire hobby over the course of a year was it like a dry year or just (laughs) this game really hit hard for people i don't know well it also won the best strategy game that year so i mean innovation was out and i think innovation is a much more radical game um i should also mention to you anthony i'm hoping you're sitting down because you know what came out that year too the best thematic board game War of the Ring Collector's Edition came out that year. Somehow, oh, man. Somehow it was not the game yeah. of the year. Maybe because yeah. it previously released. I don't know. But uh, yeah. I, yeah. 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 So if someone says Euros are dry and boring, it's because it's. But there's also punching in that game, too, because you have to work off people. I've never loved this game, but like, again, yeah. it, it has such a gravity to it that I do own a copy of it. It's sealed, but I own a copy. <laughs> Legally, I have to. Same. yeah mine is open but it was used when i bought it and i have not played it nice which it's not an indictment no no people love the game i i don't think it's a bad game it's just one of the it's one of the least thematic games of all time there's nothing there's no theme to it like again there's not even ace on but whatever yeah 2011 again the, I, I think about one of the quintessential board games of all time. It's so much so it's made fun of. It's it's the constant go-to joke. It's the cones of Dunshare. Uh, Dominant Species, 2011. Uh, makes a lot of sense as game of the year. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was a big one. 2012 Eclipse. So crazy. Such a good game at the time, but now that we have like... Several second, versions of TI. Whatever, for the galaxy. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I know that game was good, but man, it's so much better now. Yes. 2013, and again, this is where we're getting into things, Anthony. 2013, BGA, BGA is out. Board Gamers Anonymous is hitting the, hitting the ground running. The game of the year, Terra Mystica. So this is the first game, and I, I know you don't like this as much as I do. Uh-huh. Um, this is a very good game for me. But this is the first game that I sat down to play, and I played it two-player, which is not a great way to play Terra Mystica. But I sat down to play this at Myriad, and this is the first heavy Euro game, like above a three, where I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> like, my brain hurts. I've been sitting down for three and a half hours, and I want to do it again. I was so, like, to the point that my opponent was like, are you all right? I'm like, I'm so happy. Right that was the moment where I'm like, I love board games. I don't just <laughs> like them. This is amazing. Now, it's not my favorite heavy Euro. There's a lot of other games that have come out sure. since or that I've discovered since that I like more. Uh-huh. But this is the one that made me realize it. Yes. So it has a very special place in my heart. Um, I still own my copy with all the expansions. Uh, I like Gaia Project better, mm-hmm. but it's still, it's 
it's an amazing game for what it is as broken as it is in so many ways. Sure. Uh, but I'm really glad it exists because, <laughs> because I, I think if it didn't, I maybe wouldn't have oh, wow. discovered how amazing the big, heavy, overwhelmingly complex games can be. Mm, true. This was always the game. And I remember playing this and I've played it several, several times. This is the game I always wanted to love. I like it. I've played it a lot. Like, in fact, like I love the idea of terraforming, you know, the land in this kind of fantasy theme. I love the artwork. It just, and I can't really explain it. It just never fully landed with me. And again, I played it several times. I went over to a game night at a friend's house and all she had just, it was Terra Mystica day. And I was just like, I, and again, because it is that crunchy that it does hurt a little bit when you play it. And I played Mm -hmm. it three times at that game night. And I was just like, but why? I want to love this. I want to. And I, I guess, again, since it was the winner and it has been the hotness and it has, I guess, spawned the Gaia Project and Terra Nova and the new, I guess, the, the, the next edition, right? Capstone Games is coming out with a new... Age of Innovation. Yeah, yeah. which is Terra Mystica, but instead of having, like, an innate power, you get to pick one or two powers to kind of, like, put on your board yourself. So you get to create your own power. I'm really excited about that because I I really want to love this game. There's just something about it that just doesn't click with me. So maybe that new Age of Innovation is going to do it for me. So I'm really excited about that. Anthony, 2014, we went the other way for a second. Uh, I, yeah, it's, this is like the only <laughs> one. It's such a weird outlier. Why? And again, this was the same year that Five Tribes came out. So I don't understand. And Abyss came out that same year? And Dead of Winter came out that same year, and they went I don't with get it. They went with yeah, Splendor, Splendor, folks. Splendor. What? Because <laughs> it's not like there weren't big games. We talked about this with the Spiel this Yard. Like, Codenames comes out the next year, it doesn't win. Yes, right. Like, what? What? What is the? I mean, oh. fine. Splendor has a huge cultural impact. Azul never wins this award. Why Splendor? And, why did a, why did Splendor pull it off? And again, let me blow your mind a little bit because again, we're in board gaming now, 2014, and we're we're at the conventions, we're doing things. Anthony, you know what else came out that year? Imperial Settlers. Ah, that's a better game. Patchwork. Now, I guess with the expansion. Patchwork, Patchwork. came out that year. That's a better game. Oh, better game. <laughs> again, I own this digitally. I've never bought it physically. I've thought about it several times. It's just never been my game. It's it's. It's yeah, I don't I don't know. It we've been over it a hundred times. Yeah. It plays itself, which is perfect as a gateway game. Yeah. A game that plays itself is perfect. Yes. But yes. For board game geek, it, it was always yeah. like really? We like this that much. Okay. And again Am I out of touch? I don't know. Maybe like, I'm out of touch. Star Realms came out that year too. Star Realms is great. I love Star Abyss. I love Abyss. <laughs> like everything yeah. else I love. Yes, that w- again, go back to that episode, whatever it was in 2014, and listen to more of our, you know, wailing. <laughs> oh, our meltdown. Because we're like, we were really excited about this game, too. We we're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Yeah. This is am- Everybody's so excited about it. And we played it, and we're like, did we play this wrong? Yeah. I think we played this wrong. I think we played it wrong. <laughs> There's something wrong with us. Splendor's been around forever, multiple iterations. It's not going anywhere. I mean, they made a Marvel version of it. Once you make a Marvel version of anything, it's there forever. So, yeah. And again, uh, another big, another big swing, but definitely within our ballpark here, Anthony. 2015 Pandemic Legacy Season One. 
this this was a no-brainer, I think, at the time, because anybody who played this game, it was immediately their top experience of all time. Yeah. It was for me, like for a while. I was like, this is the best thing I've ever done in gaming. Yeah. Um, is it the best game? No, but that's a whole separate argument. So we're talking about the best game of the year, the best experience of the year. Now, there was some other stuff that I got to later that I wish had gotten more attention that year. Time Stories came out a month after this. Yeah. Maybe even the same month. And I really wish more people had had a chance to play that and see it because I thought Time Stories as an engine and what it did and some of the modules that came with that was so much more interesting than the one season of Pandemic Legacy. Mm. No matter how groundbreaking Pandemic Legacy was. Also, looking back on it from eight years later, I don't know that Pandemic Legacy's legacy, pardon the pun, (laughs) is as great as we thought it was going to be. Yeah. Like we thought every game was going to be legacy for the rest of time. No one can do it. They're all bad. Right. (laughs) Not all, but most of them are bad. Like the other two pandemic legacies are good. And there's a couple other oddball. Yeah. Most of the ones just not great. So maybe we're projecting a little bit on this one being like, Oh, this is the second coming of board games. This is what games are for the next 10 years. And it wasn't. It's not what games are now. It it's not what they were for the next 10 years. Nobody could do it. Like you said, Risk. No. Risk, did, I think, or I'm, I don't remember off the top of my head if it was around the same time. Risk, I can't think of Risk game earlier. Before, yeah. You played that back in 2013. Yeah, and before. I liked it a lot. And it's a good game. If you like Risk, you should play that. But it's it's a lot of games of Risk. And that was the thing that I felt yeah. about Pandemic Leaks. I didn't play I didn't play this. I haven't still haven't played this. I, I don't care to play this. But again, if someone was like, hey, let's play this. I'm like, sure. Because again, it it had a wonderful impact in the industry. It was the number one game on board game geek for quite some time. Yeah. It's, I don't know that you would necessarily like it because it is pandemic with legacy elements mm. and you don't necessarily love pandemic. I don't. If I was going to play one of these with you, I would pick pandemic legacy season zero. Oh, cause it, it does some really interesting, different things. It's a prequel sure. to these two. Um, and it's, it's very unique in that way, gotcha. but yeah, if you don't like the thing, but like, other games like Rise of Queensdale came out, yeah. Charterstone came out, Betrayal Legacy, oh, a like, lot of them, Werewolf, like Werewolf Legacy, yeah, My City, Machikoro, End of Legacy, Machikoro <laughs> Legacy, yeah, none of these really worked, no. right? Dragonfire, which was like uh, the Shadowrun Crossfire, but with dragons, yeah, like, none of it really worked. I think the only one that's really worked and people love is Clank Legacy, but it's Acquisitions they like Incorporated. Clank. Yeah, they like Clank or they like Acquisitions Incorporated. Yeah, so that's it. So yeah, Pandemic Legacy, the weird legacy that it has. Yeah, and again, it wasn't it wasn't the strongest of years, but there were very good games out there. Codenames came out that year. Mysterium came out yeah. that year. So there was good stuff, but nothing that was epic. And again, there wasn't really any major competitors. 2016 was a very big year for us. I called it. I, I I took my shot. I pointed my shot. We talked about it a lot. We had, if you ever want to hear the most rambunctious episodes, it's around Scythe, especially when it was mm. being kickstarted because me and Drew went round after round after round about like, would this be the grace, you know, non IP board game on Kickstarter or would it be like the end and it would just crash and burn? And we played a lot of this. We anticipated it. We had Jamie Stegmeyer on. It was just, it yeah. was a big thing for us because we were board gamers and it was a non IP thing. It was our, it was part of, it felt like part of our family, right? 
because yeah. it was like it was something that outside people would have no knowledge of they were it wasn't a monopoly it wasn't a ticket to ride or it was a real gamer game on kickstarter and we followed it we backed it i remember back we talked about this a lot too so scythe uh again not surprising game of the year although what else came out that year star wars rebellion so yeah oof. yeah there was so <laughs> this was a weird year for a couple of reasons rebellion came out star wars rebellion which it was a Star Wars board game that we never thought was going to nope. exist. I did Ever. I did predict that eventually we would have Death Stars, but that was it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, have Death Stars one day as an actual model playable in the game. Like, that's eh, never going to happen. It did. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But they made it happen. It was very expensive very for that expensive. reason, but they made it happen. Um, Terraforming Mars also came out that year, but it was almost impossible to get through the end of the year. Like, they didn't actually get that game in print in a reasonable way until, like, March of 2017. Yeah. I remember because I brought my copy to every single game night. I brought it to people's houses. I lent it to people. My copy of Terraforming Mars got played like 40 times in 2016 because nobody could find a copy of this game. So Scythe won, I'm not going to say by default, but because it was ubiquitous, it was a Kickstarter. And a lot of the other games were not easy to get or came out late in the year. Yeah, and I think, and again, this is, we've talked about this a lot, and there's a lot of conversation to still have. I mean, Kickstarter was at, I feel like it was at its height when Scythe came out, at least for us as board gamers. Obviously there's been games that have made more money since then, but I think as a force of nature, it was Mm -hmm. at its best moment. And it set off Jamie Stegmaier and Stonemaier games and it became its own thing. And it made, and it made, it made Kickstarter the place to be for board gamers. And then everything else followed it. And then it obviously had some of its other, problematic things afterwards it was it was a much less cynical time yes and again again what most people what most board gamers or i guess more publishers kind of use kickstarter for is for the marketing yeah so as you said it was a marketing win for stegmeyer and stonemeyer games right 2017 again kickstarter i shouldn't say it was probably the height but it was kind of somewhat because what carried on was probably one of the biggest board games of all time we played a demo of this somehow back before yeah, it was a thing. Uh, I dragged you to this and you were like, why did you make me play that terrible it game? Was, and I did not like it. The... The... <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that on, on air. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think the game is fine. You can look up my rating on board game geek. It's fine. I played 30. I played 30 some odd rounds of it. I invested 30 some odd plus hours into it. I painted my miniature. I, I did my time, bro. I did my time. <laughs> and what is this game that we are, are so it's, agitated about? I mean, the only game that you could play 30 some odd times and not finish it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Gloomhaven. It's Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven. Yeah. This, this was such a weird one. Like, it was a very small Kickstarter, right? It, I mean, very small. It made $250,000 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and it came out early 2017, and it exploded in all the places what mattered, like Tom Vassell all of a sudden has put his at number one yeah. cosmic encounter hasn't has been there for 10 years. And he's like, no, no, it's Gloomhaven. And then they run another Kickstarter to get more copies out there and they make millions of dollars. Uh, it's funny though, because in that first year, I don't know how many people actually played Gloomhaven because there weren't that many copies out in the wild. Like I, I want to say maybe 4,000, three or 4,000 got printed. Um, 
it wasn't like this crazy ridiculous huge volume of games that kind of hit the market um all at once and people were playing it and got super excited like scythe it was basically that like everybody was playing scythe so everybody loved scythe gloomhaven had less than five thousand backers so those meant that many people and their friends played it (laughs) right in uh 2017 and there were some that went to retail um but all those people loved it is what it was because it was so different whether whatever you think of it now you can't argue with the fact that it changed an entire genre of board game like one of the most popular genres of board game yes it changed it completely and all the games that come out now in that genre are different they're not dice chuckers anymore they have more to them because they have to otherwise they're like well why would i not just play gloomhaven so gloomhaven i i think it deserved to win that year um Azul also came out that year, yes. but it was really probably the only other game that was even close. Yes, but I will say that one of my best game experiences, one of the games I do love, it's in my top 100, uh, 878 Vikings, mm. Invasions of England, which again, I I think I rightly made fun of just because it sounds like a phone number. I, I don't know, maybe I got 1-800-cards-for-kids-on-my-head-and-I-can-never-get-it-out-there. <laughs> yeah, so like 878 Vikings, I'm like, what is that? It's a game, like. Really? Come on. Yeah. Come on. No, but now, it, it is a phone number though. There's ten <laughs> digits there. You can dial that. I know, that's what I'm saying. It just it just <laughs> it was also another Kickstarter. And I was like, come on, it's ridiculous. You're like, no, eight seven eight Vikings. I'm like, all right, I'll call. You know, and just never got into the call. But okay. <laughs> uh yeah, yeah. There Azul Century Spice Road was on there, photosynthesis, some really good stuff. 2018. I know this is one of the biggest games. We again, these are all been great games because everyone voted for it who actually plays games. Root. Yes. Yeah. And this was before I fell in love with Root. So I was like, oh, Root? Root? Really? I didn't back the Kickstarter. I picked this game up at Gen Con that year uh, and before they sold out of it. And I didn't really even play it that year until like the end end of the year. And then at that point, I was like, oh, this is actually great, but not enough to realize how great it was until maybe a year or two later. Um, But that wasn't even like Brass. The Brass reprints came out that year. Mm-hmm. Birmingham, which is now the number one game of all time or has been yeah. at some point. Um, Quacks of Quedlinburg came out that year. So it was a good year. It was a very good year. Keyforge came out that year. Yep. So a lot of great games came out that year. And Root was one of those games when we went to the conventions, Anthony, and which is like their booth was like Leader Games booth was sold out. Like when I mean sold out, I mean like there was like it was empty. Like 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 they were selling like furniture. <laughs> they were just like yeah. there was nothing there to buy. Like you would walk in there and be like, can I buy a like a thing they're like we have literally nothing to buy like i think they they sold out i don't know if it was that year i guess obviously the year after like they sold out a day before the convention came to an end they couldn't get they yeah. couldn't get enough stuff out there no it was like saturday early afternoon early late morning you walk by and they had like a stuffy hanging there <laughs> like that was it they're like yeah you can buy that stuffed animal that's about it yeah so yeah and then 2019 again, and not a big, not a big surprise here. One of the biggest games no, of all time, all. and again, it brought non gamers into gaming in like a super, super big way. I think the biggest way that we've had it forever. Wingspan. Yeah, Wingspan was a no brainer. This is like, honestly, we had like five straight years of no brainers. None of these were surprising. No. Pandemic, Scythe, Gloomhaven, Root, Wingspan. That's like, that is those five. That's years. because That's gamers games know games, bro. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and Wingspan won almost every award that year. So, like, if you look at the list, you, I don't even know what else came Watergate out. Watergate came out honestly. that year and won. Watergate two was players. good. Yeah. Watergate was good. 
you know. So again, I can't believe Watergate came out that year. Like, well, the crew came out that year too. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, but Wingspan was a phenomenon. Like, I remember when that game came out, and like people were like, "Oh yeah, you could get a copy of it online for like two hundred dollars." And you're like, "What?" And they're like, "Yeah, it turns out Bird Watchers are also in this weird Venn diagram of like." being this somewhat the same personality type as board gamers, like willing to sit for hours to enjoy the look and the subtleness complexity of a thing. And you're like, Oh, well, yeah. that's great. <laughs> Never going to see this game. And you know, forever. And Elizabeth Hargrave crushing it. Yeah. All right. Well, that brings us all the way to 2020 and things changed. And yeah. we were so glad that things changed because again, Everything deserves awards. Games are great. They're amazing. And they're amazing for different people in different ways. This year, 2020, they broke them up to Game of the Year, Light, Medium, and Heavy. Yes, which you should always do, because then Splendor doesn't win Game of the Year. <laughs> it wins Light Game of the Year, and you're like, oh, it's just a Light Game of the Year, whatever. Yes, that's the way it should be. So, Game of the Year, Light, Micro Macro Crime City. Imagine just winning Game of the Year, <laughs> It's just, it's, oh my gosh, it's that was terrible. It's just where's Waldo. <laughs> I like it. It's fun, but it's not the, you can't pick that as game of the year because then people look back and they're like, that was the yeah, game. Yeah, somebody of comes the year? into the industry like, well, I will buy game of the year. And they're like, what is this? It's a giant piece of paper with a really bad magnifying glass that you have to find things <laughs> on. They're like, where's Waldo? Like, yeah, but mur- murder? With, with a story, <laughs> but also not appropriate for children. And not really a story either. It's like, eh, yeah, you yeah. know, but. I own, I own two versions of this. I guess the first and the second. There's a third coming, or or do I own? The, no, I think there's a fourth coming out. I think we're on the we're yeah. on the fourth. They're on. Fourth it's end. one of those games that's brilliant because it's ob like I I don't want to make it sound like weak, like it's obvious, like duh, but like it's some things come out and you're like, oh damn man, I could have made that. <laughs> yeah, but the I mean, you'd have to draw it. Though. No, that would ever so. happen. And again, the the drawing is the genius, not the gameplay. The gameplay is it's a game experience. You just have to find things on a map. But the yeah, I f- I feel like this was somebody doodling for a few hundred hours and then being like, I can make a game out of this. Yes, yes. Uh, and again, whoever drew that and like again, basically, if you have not played it. Again, it's just a mystery, and you have to follow clues. And, and basically, what you're doing is you're finding a character and you're following them backwards. But it's like the past, present, and future all on one plane. So it's yeah, very cool as far as so whoever did that, bravo! Like great job. But beyond that, it's a game experience. Game of the year, medium. <laughs> it sounds like the three bears here. Lost yep. ruins of Arnak. Yes. Now I'm going to argue here. Yes, this I'm is... going to argue here with you in a second. Go ahead. Give, give, give it some, some okay. praise, man. Okay. Drop some praise. Okay. Drop it. Lost Ruins of Arnak was... So two games came out at the same time. Uh-huh. They had the same mechanics. That's it. More or less. Uh-huh. Not exactly the same, but we had worker placement plus deck building. And now we have a bunch of those. Yes. And this is the one that like just like pile drive me. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. It's like Indiana Jones, but in a board game. But also there's kind of fantasy elements, so I don't feel quite as gross about it. So I've played this game a million times. I love this game. And the expansions have only made it better. I'm really psyched because next week we're getting another expansion at Gen Con. Yes. Definitely picking that up. Here's my problem with it. Is it medium? Yes. Okay. I don't. I I feel. All right. Let me say this again to you. Is it medium considering Gloomhaven, Jaws of the Line, one heavy? Yeah, that's the one I have a problem with. All right. So. Because. On Mars came out that yes. year. On Mars should have won heavy game. 
it's the first year you're using the term heavy and you give it the Gloomhaven in the big box store version. Yeah. I think Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion and Lost Runes of Arnak, if they both needed to be awarded, should have been swapped. I think Lost Runes of Arnak is a harder game than Gloomhaven, which is a co-op game. It's it's a lighter. I mean, look, we can look up the numbers. I don't know. We can ask our producer to look up the BGG rating as far as yeah. Parts. So Jaws of the Lion is a three six three. Okay. And Lost Runes of Arnak is a two nine zero. See, I don't. I mean. You get crunched. In the I game. agree on Arnak. I don't agree on Jaws. No, Lion. that's not a thing. Why would people think that's a thing? I don't. Honestly, I think most of these adventure type games, like dungeon crawlers, get higher difficulty ratings because of how fiddly they are. Okay. It's like people look at that and they're like, "It's kind of hard to wrap your head around what you're supposed to do." So it's a heavy game. It's not a heavy game. It's just got a lot of overhead to learn. And once you learn it, it's just like you move here, you do this, you play this card, fight, 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 fight. I win, move on, do it again. Yeah, it's it's wash, rinse, and repeat. Maybe people are playing who don't yeah. know games, but like Lost Ruins of Arnak is some pretty innovative, smart, and crunchy deck building along with worker placement and a really challenging track that you fight over. Like that track right. is not nothing to be messed with. Oh, there's a track. Like, oh, it's, you know, like, no, no, no. There's bonuses on the whole thing and you have to like right. lie, scrimp, and steal and kill giant monsters in order to get the little things that you need. Like that will hurt your head. So, yeah, I don't know. And again, you mentioned Anthony, like, or again, we should mention also like Dude Imperium came out that year, which again, I think a lot of people in their head was like, Lost Ruins of Arnak or Dude Imperium. It's like Coke versus Pepsi. Cause they felt like they were the same game. I didn't feel that way, but a lot of people did. It was just that one mechanic, I think. Yes. They were very different in other ways, because Dune Imperium has combat, right? And it's an IP-based game, and the way the market works is much different than an Arnak, where the cards are almost always useful because of how it's structured, whereas Dune Imperium is obviously a big mess of a market. Yeah, um, We don't have to get into all that, but yeah, I agree. I think Onmar should have won heavy. Well, that's it. That's what I was yes. saying. <laughs> so. yeah. All right, 2021. Uh, game of the Year, Light Cascadia. Yes, brilliant game. Still, Happy with still it. Still have not played it. Don't don't believe it exists. We'll, we'll demo it next week, then. We're gonna I do don't believe it exists. Game of the We're Year, Medium, it. The Crew, Mission Deep Sea. Yeah, this is weird, because it's like, it's not an expansion, because it's a, like a standalone, but it's basically an expansion. It's the same game. It's the same game that lost a previous award, so it's kind of weird that right. It's a yeah. There's other stuff that came out that would have been more interesting, and here. it's a better version. But I think it's also I think BGG. This is their one big problem. It's like they don't know what to do with games that are like reimplementations of the same game or just like slightly yeah. revised. They're like it gets the same. It gets an it gets its own page. I'm like it really does it. Like TI four, TI three, two, one. Like when it comes to the when it comes to the award, it's relatively the same game. Please don't come at me like. I get it. There's differences. Nah, you're right, it's just yeah. it's problematic on a list slash award system thing. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh on the, you know, again on on the heavy side, Arc Nova. I mean, this was a no-brainer. Yep. If they'd only had one game of the year, this would have been it. That's funny. That's true. I get that. Yeah, so uh 2022, which is the current year in which they are award uh Lightyear 
Light game, light game, light game. Cat in the Box Deluxe Edition. I still don't know why they call it Deluxe Edition, but okay. I, I don't. I mean, it's because it came out in Japan originally, and it was not deluxe deluxe at all. It was <laughs> it was barely above print and play. Okay. I played the original Japanese yeah. version. It was very very bland. Um, it's it it's a great game. I don't. I think honestly, twenty twenty two was like a weirdly it was off year. It was a there was very not thin, a lot of great stuff. Very thin. Um, Cat in the Box is great, but it wasn't like mind blowing. Yes, and I think maybe that was maybe there was some outcome of the COVID situation, like people weren't designing around the earlier years or something. Maybe uh, the medium game, Anthony Heat, pedal to the metal. Heard a lot of great things about this. Um, I feel like again, if there was one game of the year, probably it would have been this yes. one. And then game of the year, the heavy Carnegie. I'm in with that. I think it was the best heavy. I know game we did show. our awards too, and it was like. There was very, I think on the heavy, on all the games, it was thin. And I think, I think it's a COVID situation, but on certainly on the, the heaviest side, I think, I think they were, they got hit the hardest. And I think Carnegie was the best of what was available. Um, I do want to point out because it's a little bit of an oddity. The best zoomable game for 2020 was Forgotten Waters and then nothing else since then, because we are not doing that anymore. (laughs) This is a one-time award. <laughs> it's like somebody, somebody at Board Game Geek's like, "Oh, Forgotten Waters is really good, and no one's gonna play it because it came out in the middle yes. of uh, COVID." So they're like, "Let's do a thing, and then let's let's never do that again." Because you could still zoomable games, but nobody really wants to do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to be fair, we tried it. It's not the best. So, no. all right. Well, there you go. The last ten, the last ten great years of game, as voted by everyone out there. Great job. All of these games are alive and kicking. The current award's a little bit more or less, but again, we love the idea that there's light, medium, heavy. Some great games get to the table. Cheer them on as they move on. And again, definitely get on to BGG. If you're not on BGG, you should be, because you love this stuff. And again, vote for those great games out there. We'll see you there on Board Game Geek. Until next time, this is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Take care, everyone. Bye. Yeah. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.